Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing, buddy? I'm very well. Thank you, Ryan. I'm very well. It's a glorious, glorious freezing cold Sunday. The World Cup's due to begin and life's good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. The sun is shining, but as you say, it is very cold. Yeah. Um, and, and the World Cup starts today Absolutely. at the time of recording. Yeah, let's try and get some excitement going because I'm not feeling it just yet. Yeah, although as we were having our pre-record chat, we're not really sure we want it to come home for this World Cup. No, it'd just be a bit tainted. Obviously, if England was to win, I'm going to go fucking mental. And you probably won't see me for three months and I'll be dead in a ditch somewhere from like <laughs> partying too hard. But it'll be a nice Christmas if we won. It would be a nice Christmas present, wouldn't it? Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it does feel a bit tainted, this whole World Cup thing. Um, it does. Ah, hey-ho. Um, yeah. Not to... Well, I don't know why I hey-ho'd there. I feel like I've just put down all the issues about it in one <laughs> comment. <laughs> that's, a, that's a podcast episode in itself. Yeah. Um, if you are listening... Um, oh, actually, no, you are listening because this is right now. Um, I've obviously been creating little trailers for each episode as they come about. And, and the last episode, you saw in my background brand new merch item... Um, uh, that had been created don't be a dick now if you're watching the trailer for this you can see uh, another new piece of artwork that is going to be on some merch coming up soon which was brought to us via the survey which is still up and live which um, i do recommend you go and check out if you have any ideas or suggestions um, which you can see and it, uh, do you know what we're going to use it as a as, a, as like a a sneak peek because I couldn't get it to fit the entire screen that I that is behind me. But you may recognise such said person uh, is an ancient Greek and he's strangling a chicken, <laughs> which I'm just gonna let the audiences see now. Nice. Um, yeah, for those that are just listening to the pod, I'm really sorry about that. That was just awkward airtime. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, someone uh, suggested that we put on a T-shirt Diogenes. Uh, holding up a a naked chicken saying um i i bring to you a, a man or something like that so we've we've got a, an artist to create something and we're going to put it on shirts and we're really excited about it it's funny it's funny i chuckled and if i chuckle i don't laugh at anything so if i chuckled everyone else is gonna be in stitches yeah it's really really good and to the guy who created it uh thank you very much um money well spent uh, just so we know, because I can hear it now, if you can hear a tapping coming from my end, I do apologise. Uh, our next door neighbours have sold their house and now new people are in there and they're hammering away every day. So thank you very much for that. Let's hope that it is anyway, hammering or they're having a fucking good time. Yes. Um, now, should we get into this? Because um, it's already taken long enough for this. This is our Halloween special. <laughs> and if you're... If you have a calendar to hand, if you just glance over at your phone, you'll notice that it's currently the 20th of November at the time of recording. Yeah, it is. Later when people are listening. Yes. Um, now, I, I, our listeners are one of the some of the best listeners are going because 
they know that we're just really late when it comes to writing episodes. But when it comes yeah. to like specific episodes that need to go out at times, we're always really bad for this. So you, you've got two choices here. Um, you can either just, you know, give us a bit of leeway here and go, do you know what? The boys are always saying how busy they are. And, you know, these just take time to write. So or you could be like, Ryan, you probably should have started writing this in August to get ready for Halloween. You should have been. Um, we should be doing our Christmas which, ones now. I was, I was, you know, I was exactly going. I was going to say, I need to start writing my Christmas episode now, so it's ready for January. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I now write for a living, so I really have no excuse. Except my excuse might be I write for a living, so then I don't want to write for my spare time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, should we get right into it? That's. I don't know if you intended that, but that's a pun. Yes, we should get right into it. Uh, all right, so let's do it. A Halloween special. Um, a quick warning before we uh, start, as is always. Um, this episode contains references to sexual assault and rape, which some may find distressing. With that being said, let's crack on. So, it's Halloween, spooky season, a time where we watch horror movies to give ourselves the heebie jeebies for fun. We might dress up as slutty cats or witches at parties. Some think it's a time where the space between the realms of the living and the dead are at their closest, meaning we can communicate with the dead. And some like to tell plain old scary stories. So, in this episode, I want to tell a scary story. So let's set the scene. It's dark on your way home. You stayed late at work trying to get that paperwork done in time for the deadline. The first part of your journey home is pretty standard. The noise of people in the pub behind the bus stop turns into a deep hum as you step on the bus and take a seat. Scrolling through Twitter on your phone, the screen goes black. You weren't expecting to stay at work so late so you didn't bring your charger. Low power mode can only get you so far. You resort to staring out the window, but you begin to run out of things to look at as you leave the town and head further into the quieter countryside. Now, it's so dark outside, there's nothing to look at except for your own reflection in the window. You press the button to let the driver know you want to get off at the next stop. It's a bit about your journey that just kind of sucks. You need to get a connecting bus, but the service is few and far between. The price you pay for living out in the sticks. You're waiting at the bus stop. It's quiet there. It's a secluded stop. There's only a couple of street lights along the road. You look up at the digital info board to find out how long it will be before your next bus comes. The word delayed illuminates the stop. You sigh. It's going to be a long one. As you turn, you see under a street light in the distance a man. He's not doing anything. He's just standing there. It looks like he's looking in your direction. So you sit there at the bus stop and you just try not to look his way. You don't want to give him any reason to come over, but you keep him in your peripheral. He doesn't move. He's just standing there. But it's making you tense your legs as if you're getting ready to get up at any second. The info board changes, causing you to divert your eyes. Nine minutes away. That's all you have to wait. Just nine more minutes and you'll be on the bus safe. You're not going to stay this late at work again. It just isn't worth it. You check to see if the guy is still under the streetlight. He's not there. 
you frantically look around and spot him on the side of your road that you're now on. He's a little closer now, and when looking at his face you can't really tell, but it looks like he's wearing some kind of mask. It's enough to make you feel very uncomfortable. Seven minutes. You pick up your dead phone and hold it to your ear. Hopefully this will dissuade the man from coming over, but it looks like he's actively walking over now. Fuck it, you're not going to just sit here holding your phone to your ear. You start talking out loud, just to no one, just to anyone. You start walking in the direction home, hoping that the bus will come soon and you can just flag it down along the road. A quick glance back informs you that the man is also walking your way. You pick up the pace, but you hear the footsteps getting closer and faster. He's running now. You scream as you feel the force of him tackling you to the ground. This is it. You think you're going to die. You hear the bus coming, but it doesn't see you. How can it when you're being held in the bushes just off the road? As the bus drives past you and the man, the light from the bus illuminates the man's mask. It's fucking terrifying. Now, I'm not going to finish that. I'm going to leave it up to you guys to decide what happens. But considering some of the horrific things we've covered in the past, I'm sure the listeners will have no problems conjuring up something. In fact, was, for some of us... Go on, carry on. I was going to say that was quite good storytelling, Ryan. I was captivated. Um I've got in my head, I'm sure everyone has their own little image of of where that was taking place. But in my head, it was my usual bus stop outside of my train station when I get a train back from London or something. That's where mm. I was and sitting at that bus stop and like there's a bush there. Mm. Scary. Well, I'm sure everyone else had a different place in mind. Well, it's interesting you bring it up because my next paragraph is for some of our listeners, this story might be all too real. We've mm. nearly all had an experience where we're walking home at late at night and feel uncomfortable as someone is walking behind us. Mm. I've I've had it. I've I've been mugged on my way home once when I was eighteen. It's the only time I've ever been like attacked in any form in my life. Yeah. Um, and that that was that was scary enough. So, and I'm a bloke, so it doesn't happen very often for me. Mm. Yeah. Where I when I used to live in London, I lived in East London in the ends. It wasn't very nice. And every time I used to go to the pub after work, come back at like half twelve, one in the morning, and there'd be gangs every night outside the train station, and it was. It was scary. They always left me alone. I feel I always had my hood up and a cap on. I was like, I was just one of them. Um, but yeah. my friend got followed several times. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. You've got your hoodie on, you've got yeah, your hat on. You can imagine if you were just, you know, a woman. Yeah, it's terrifying. That might it's be. terrifying. Yeah, I never let my girlfriend at the time walk alone around my area. I was like, mm. I'd always be at the train station because it was fucking horrible. Never, never ever go back there. Yeah. Now... That's horrifying enough, you know, when you're just walking home alone. It can be really daunting. It can be a really scary experience when you're walking home alone at night. But what about in your own home? That's our safe space, our sanctuary. As Edward Cook said in 1604, quote, The house of everyone is to him as his castle and fortress. When you close that door after a long day and settle yourself into bed for some much-needed sleep, the last thing you would expect is for someone to break into that sanctuary and harm you. Yet, for many residents of the island of Jersey, this was a likely risk every night when you closed your eyes. So, let's just get into it. Uh, and just, again, just quickly, do you do background in, on what Jersey is and where it is in the, in the script? Uh, a little bit. Okay, cool. I was wondering if you've ever been. I haven't, have you? I have, when I was really young, yeah. 
Um, from what I remember, it was quite a nice place, but very isolated. It's very isolated, yeah. Um, but it does seem very nice. Yeah, very um, nice. Again, just before I get into this, now, as I said in the disclaimer, uh, I will be uh, covering and detailing uh, sexual attacks and rapes, um, so I do implore you, if that's something that is triggering to any of our listeners, I do implore maybe just stay away from this episode. Um, again, we, the, the whole thing with this show, and, and you know what, more people recently have been asking me, like, people at work, when they find out I have a podcast, and they always go, oh, what do you do it about? And I'm like, well, it's just people, and I talk about, like, the whole thing is that we talk about good and bad all the time mm. and discovering that there's this grey zone which there doesn't really exist a good or a bad person. There's just a grey. People are just grey. Yeah. Uh, and they do what suits themselves when it, you know, when it suits them. Mm. Um, and so, like, when it comes to doing, like, these horrific uh, people, I do find it important to, like, talk about the whole thing as much as you can rather than hide things because I just think it does an injustice to the story and to the victims and of course. You know, just just to the whole thing that we do mm. uh, if I just hide stuff away. Um, no, no, I agree. I also asked for um, some advice from my girlfriend in regards to how I word certain things um, in this episode um, because, like I say, I don't want to be demeaning to anyone who may have been through um, any issues similar to what we're about to talk about. And, and the way she put it was like, no, please do just say it as it is. Because, you know, if those that are listening have been through it by sort of, we don't want them to feel like I'm just sort of being blasé about something. It's like trivialising it, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. So, the timeline is a bit fuzzy, so I will not be so accurate with dates, just the years as, as best as I can. It's 1957. A woman is waiting at a bus stop at night. Out of nowhere, she's set upon by a man wearing a trench coat and a scarf around his face. He ties a rope around her neck and drags her into the field behind the bus stop where she is violently raped. After the attack, the woman is left there where she is eventually picked up by a passerby who took her to the hospital where she required stitches for her wounds, so violent was her attack. In the same year, two more women would become victims. Like the first... She was waiting at a bus stop before being set upon and sexually raped, in the same manner, with a rope tied around her neck. And another was randomly attacked, but luckily managed to get away from her attacker. All three attacks were reported to the police, but with a lack of ev evidence at the scenes of the crimes, they were unable to follow anything up. Now, it is important to note that Jersey is a tiny island in the English Channel. The entire island is smaller than the city of London and at the time had a population of just under 60,000 people. Mm. For reference, my hometown has 100,000 more people than that and is 10 kilometres smaller than the island itself. Mm, it's mad. There's a lot of open space there. A lot. Now, my point being is that a small community island such as this was in no way truly equipped to deal with these types of crimes. In fact... Until 1951, it technically didn't have a genuine police force that you would expect to see in the UK. It used to have an honorary policing system that was completely voluntary, which originated way, way back to when Jersey was still considered a part of the old province of Normandy. Jersey had a parish system where volunteers would police their parishes, 
but calls for an island-wide police force, while difficult to establish, was eventually set up in the 1950s. But they had weird rules, like really weird. One of these older rules was that the police force could only um, properly arrest someone between the time of 6pm at night and 2am in the morning. Because before that... Yeah, because before that, this... uh, So... Because this is about as much detail as I really sort of go into Jersey. So Jersey is a small island. It's just off the coast of Normandy in France. Um, it used to be an island that when, if you listen to James's like Monarchies episode, um, old kings of England used to own significant parts of France, and uh, included in that was Normandy and the Isle Channel Islands. Obviously, that's now all been stripped back. France has its now borders, but some of those islands just off the coast of France are still considered British, although they yeah. are crown de- independent uh, crown dependencies. So they're not part of the UK government. They run themselves, uh, but they are owned by the crown. So King Charles owns them directly, not the UK government. It's rather yeah. confusing. Yeah, but they speak tax English, ha- especially like uh, tax havens, aren't yeah. they? tax havens uh they speak english they do everything english wise uh although there's quite a lot of french influence of course because it's literally like six or so miles away from the art like from france it's that close Um, um, this story you're about to tell is what mid 50s early 50s yeah mid 50s so to the 70s so like a decade previous it was occupied by the nazis yes it was um it's a really important um part of british history that a lot of people don't tend to realize is that when they say oh um uh, the Nazis never invaded Britain, and it's like, well, no, technically they did. They they mm. they um, seized the islands of Jersey and Guernsey um, and Alderney, I believe, mm. in the forties, and held it for the majority of the war. And Britain just didn't really think it being strategic enough to take them back. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the just only British occu- British territory they actually occupied. It was a clo- they got fucking close to. There's a harrowing picture. I don't know how we end up talking about fucking Adolf Hitler in every single episode. But there was a yeah. picture of Hitler standing. It was either on one of the Channel Islands or like Calais or somewhere. Um, and he's got binoculars and he's looking at the White Cliffs of Dover. Like what a fucking mm-hmm. terrifying f- picture that is. Yeah, I believe he's at Calais and he's sort of yeah. just looking over. It's fu- I, and- I was, when I flew to Germany like a few weeks back, I like it's so striking how close Calais and Dover are. Like you go mm. over Dover and when you're in the middle of the Channel, you can see both islands like... It's so close. Yeah, I mean, on a really good clear day in the summer, if you stand up at, um, say, Dover Castle, you can see France. Yeah, yeah, it's honestly it's really, really, really close. But then England is one of... We're very lucky in the UK that we have, like, a moat built in. Like, we are essentially, as a country, we are a castle. We have our own moat. It's very yeah. difficult to invade. Oh, it is. Um, now... Coming back to obviously Jersey and the way it operates, because it was always so close to the uh, to France, it was operated. It was part of Normandy, which obviously famously uh, the Normans who invaded England in 1066 with William the Conqueror, mm-hmm. and they still held on to quite a lot of like Normandy rules, even though they were now part of England and the UK widely. Um, but in terms of like established rules and laws and all that kind of stuff they were kind of really independent and did their own thing and that included a police force as sort of I was referring to earlier when they had old rules that hark back to the Normandy days where there wasn't a police force it was just the, the, the island is broken down into small parishes and each parish sort of just policed themselves with volunteers um, so when it came to being like we should probably have a police force like they do on the mainland UK they were like well no we've got our own little thing going on it's like yeah cool but you don't actually have a police force I suppose so when like, they, 
with a population that small, they just assume nothing would ever happen. Exactly, which is why when things like this happen, they're like, we kind of need a police force because several women have been raped and abused publicly and we can't do anything about it right now. Yeah. Wow. So they bring in a pol- the police force had been was being brought in in the 50s but then like I say that's why they end up having some weird rules where they weren't actively a police force they could only operate at night and they were like a night shift police force so fucking so Batman could, I know so they could only operate from 6am to 2 uh, 6pm to 2am and that's the only time they could actually arrest someone and take them to a station other than that they were to be taken away and given to like the town hall where like a lo- uh, just a normal local judge would be like slap on the wrist please don't do that again and send you on your way it sounds like the fucking purge just all crime legal oh Get it's crazy anything now the birth of jersey's police force was a difficult one which meant by the time of our story they really weren't equipped to deal with any kind of crime really a year after the first wave of attacks another woman is attacked and the young police force begin to see a common denominator descriptions detailed that the attacker is around five foot six possibly in their mid-40s, possessing a bizarre Irish accent that they all believe was faked, and having a very distinctive, musty smell. Now, the police concluded that these attacks were likely done by the same person, and the press dubbed him the Beast of Jersey. By 1960, the Beast had evolved and changed tactics. Instead of attacking people waiting at bus stops, he became more brazen. Now, not even being in your own home would stop him. The first case came in February of 1960. Late one night, a 12-year-old boy was awoken by a light flickering in his room. When he opened his eyes, a bright light was shining in his face, blinding him. It was the beast. He had climbed in through a window of the boy's bedroom. In his typical MO, He tied a rope around the boy's neck and dragged him out of the house into a field at the back where he was sexually assaulted before leading him back to his house and running away. A month later, a woman was walking to the bus stop. A man in a car pulled over and asked her if she'd like a lift. He said he was a doctor and he was on his way into town to pick up his wife. Disarmed by his story, she got into the car. Sitting next to him, she started to notice details. He's wearing a hat that covered most of his face. He had a scarf on and a really large overcoat and it just made her feel uneasy. That sense, that natural sense of fear that comes in. You think this is not right. And only then did she then realise that they're actually now in a very secluded area that she didn't recognise. The woman was beaten and tied up, receiving several blows to the face. In the same way that most of his victims had been before she was dragged into a field and sexually assaulted when he was done he put her back in the car now we don't know what his intentions were with her because as he started driving away she did one of the most bravest things going she opened the car door and just flung herself out of the moving car screaming the entire time making as much noise as she could and this this worked because the beast in panic fled Later that month, a 43-year-old woman was awoken in the night by the house phone ringing. When she picked up the phone, there was nobody there. All she heard was a click and a dial tone. Now, assuming it was a wrong number, she ignored it and went back to bed. But not long after going back to her bed, she then heard a noise coming from downstairs. 
She went down to investigate and when she got to the bottom of the stairs she turned on the lights but as soon as they were turned on they turned off again and the woman was immediately aware of a presence in the house. She tried to call the police but there was no dial tone now. The phone lines had been cut. Now this is a horror film. I know, it's fucking terrifying. Then the beast made his move. He ran at the woman, demanding money and threatened to kill her. The noise in the house woke up the woman's 14-year-old daughter. Asking what was going on, the attacker's attention was now on the little girl and he ran up the stairs after her instead. The mother, knowing that the phone lines had been cut, ran to her neighbour's house for help and by the time they came back to the house, they found her 14-year-old daughter tied up. She was alive, but she had been raped. That story, like that is one of my worst nightmares is people someone being in your house. Yeah, like this is your safe space, isn't it, where nothing can can hurt you. And then after that I'm assuming you'd have to move or get far away. You'd never feel safe again. No. No. Now, the next month another 14-year-old was awoken by the beast standing at the foot of her bed pointing a flashlight at her. He'd been watching her sleep. She screamed which woke her parents, and that made the beast flee. She was considered lucky. Mm. Now, in July of 1960, maybe realising he was causing too much heat, the beast would perform his last attack of the year. He broke into a home and kidnapped an eight-year-old boy. Following his usual pattern, the boy was taken into a field, a rope tied around his neck, and was raped. The beast delivered the boy back to his home where he left him on the front doorstep to be discovered by his family. Jesus Christ. I know. It's just... It's the fact as well that what's going through my mind is that this guy is just getting away with this, like completely getting away with it. And in between all this, like, he has to work. He has to have a life. He has to be a guy that someone knows. Like, he's just going about daily life, like, interacting Mm. with people, and no one has a fucking clue that it's him. People have probably spoke to him, being like, have you heard this story on the news? Like, how awful is this? He's like, yeah, terrible. Like, really, really bad. Yeah, yeah. Mad. And he's likely, he's likely driving past the homes of these places where he's been. It, what, it makes you wonder whether, like, he knows these people and whether he's been scoping them out for a while. Well, this is the thing. The island of Jersey is such a small island that it's likely he does know them. It's fucking terrifying, especially like if he can get into an eight-year-old's bedroom without alerting the parents. You have to have good knowledge of the house, been watching it for a while, know where that bedroom is. The scary thing as well is like with most people that we've spoke about before in the past, a lot of these killers and rapists and whatnot, they have like a type. Mm. Whereas this guy, there doesn't seem to be. Yes, no. it's, it, it, it's women and children, and it doesn't. He doesn't really care if it's boys, girls, women. He doesn't care. He just does whatever. Yeah, and any age as well, which is horrifying. He's just proper sick yeah. individual. Now let's just take a second to have a breather, all right? Because that was fucking horrendous, and that I know that bad, this yeah. is our. Yeah, I know this is our Halloween special episode and all that. But even for me, this was brutal to sort of research because it's just not very nice. In fact, I remember when we made the Sylvia Likens episode and how brutal that was. And uh, for an opener into my family life, I think it's my mum's least favourite episode. In fact, my mum hates the C word, right? She cannot stand anyone using it. But I have heard her use it to describe Gertrude in that episode, right? Yeah, yeah. That so that's how brutal episode. that was. Yeah. But I feel now, like I can... 
the, the differences between that episode and this episode, this episode for me is a lot scarier because in that episode, like it sounds bad, but it was kind of contained to within that family. Whereas this yeah. it's like, it's just happening in society and no one's random. doing anything about it. Yeah, completely random as well. And that's the scary thing. Now, I can only imagine what my mum is thinking about whilst listening to this episode right now. Hi, mum. Uh, she's probably <laughs> thinking, oh, Ryan, why are you doing an episode on this? It's horrific. Mm. Um, but my answer to that is that's what people do, mum. That is unfortunately what people do. When we pitched this fucking podcast, I don't think we'd ever think that we'd be getting into this sort of shit. I don't know how we pitched it, but it wasn't... I don't know, man. People do some fucked up shit. But then it's also good to remember that people do some nice stuff as well. You, If you're a bit sad, go through our back catalogue. There's some fucking great people out there. But there's yeah, also no, people sure. like this. But anyway, I thought we'd also just sort of just take this moment to just, you know, I thought I'd just tell everyone. My mum got two new puppies recently and they're absolutely beautiful. Oh, and they what, remind us all that there is good in the world. What breed of dog is it? They are, are they? cockapoos and they're oh, stunning. Oh, so cute. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Good work. I love them to bits. So yeah, uh, should we get back into it now that we've had a little breather? Just a real quick question: What's the dogs' names? Uh, Fudge and Toffee. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm happy now. Continue. All right, let's get back into it, guys. Now, with the beast appearing to have stopped all of his attacks, it gave the inexperienced police force time to try and crack the investigation. They concluded that the beast must have been a resident of the island due to the frequency of the attacks and the fact that the beast seems to know precisely where he's going. They knew that the beast had an Irish accent, but they also knew that it was likely fake. They thought that the guy was a smoker because there was empty cigarette packets always left at the scene of the crime, and that he wore a rubber mask, a lady's wig that he had spiked the hair-wise, and occasionally wore a flat cap on top. He wore a trench coat, often had a scarf with him and typically operated between the hours of 10pm and 3am. He was likely single or unmarried because they concluded no man who had a wife and family would be able to get away for so long without his wife realising something was up. Mm. That to me is very sort of 50s attitude. I mean, we've seen it in past episodes that people can get away with a lot of shit without their partners knowing. But I understand the logic, like, if your partner was getting out of bed at 10 o'clock every night, being like back in a bit, and then coming back at three, questions would be raised. Yeah, but then I can just imagine the police force were just being like, hey, lad, I can't go to the pub without my missus being like, where are you going? So he's definitely <laughs> single. That's definitely the conversation that was had. Yeah, I don't know. Who um, knows? Now, I mentioned the mask there, the Beast of Jersey. James, yeah. you've seen a picture of the mask. Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. It's like, for me, it's a bit like, it's not Freddy Krueger, it's the other one. Fuck's his name? Oh, uh, Jason. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kinda. I don't know. Oh no, it's uh, oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mike. Oh, Texas. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's why I'm it reminds Mike me Myers. of. It reminds me of Mike Myers. Yeah, just some sort of mask that looks like fucking other people's faces. Oh, for sure. And if you haven't seen it, Google it or just quickly look on our social media to see the picture that will go up for uh, this episode if I put it up by now. Yeah, I've, uh, I've just, just googled Google Texas it. Chainsaw Massacre. That is exactly what I, it reminds me of. I probably A lot of these are probably inspired by it, but um, when yeah. I saw this image, it's what inspired me to look into this episode and try it out as a Halloween episode because I was like, that is terrifying. That mask had given me nightmares before. I am immune to it now because I've seen it so many times. I've got the picture but up it's here. it's terrifying. Horrible. Yeah. Now, 
In a moment showing how behind Jersey's police force was, they requested that every man on the island with a criminal record give up his fingerprints for a database. That's how behind they were. What decade is this? In the 60s now. So if we're going back to our episode on Colin Pitchfork, where DNA was first used, I think that was the 60s. So I don't think they're there yet. I think no, the I, finger, I think you're right. I think the fingerprint database came in late 60s, early 70s. Oh, but even still, everyone always did a fingerprint. It would be like, yeah, it would be um, watchable, like proper ink. It wouldn't be on like a, a database somewhere. I mean, even in Jack the Ripper's days, nearly 100 years before, they knew about fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'd have to sift through everyone's like manually, like look at a bit of paper. Yeah, and that and that would be a that would be a big job in Victorian London. This yeah. is Jersey with about 60,000 60, people on it. I'm sure you'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. It seems now, so much easier to commit crimes back then, didn't it? I have this conversation yeah. with my mum all the time. She works in law, and I'm just like, back in like before DNA and all that, you could get away genuinely, no pun intended, with murder. Yeah, well, do you know what? With interestingly, like talking about Jersey, you could commit a crime in one parish, hop over to the next parish, and you couldn't be done for it. That's mental. Doesn't America Isn't work in the like used or used to work in a similar way with like federal yeah, lines? Yeah, with or states. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, now, of this, um, only thirteen people denied the request to give up their fingerprints. Well, those people are immediately fucking sus. Uh, do you know what I mean? That's immediately sus. Um, I did also see a source stating that instead of it being every person that had a criminal record, they say that it was every single adult male on the island uh, that had to give up their fingerprint. But again, although I said if you're looking through 60,000 um, uh, fingerprints and whatnot, but having to get 60,000 like people to do that, I just think for a tiny, tiny police force is a massive operation. So I don't think that one's accurate. I don't think that's true, but I thought I'd also mention it because... I have been working on scraps with this episode. They did um, do that in Leicester, though, with the Colin Pitchfork place. They went house to house and got people's DNA. Oh, for sure. But much bigger police force. These guys are literally yeah. brand new. That's fair. And nowadays, I think, what is it? As soon as you commit a crime, your DNA will then be on the database. But until then, you're all good. Yeah, exactly. Now, looking for more help, the police put the description of their suspect in the paper, hoping to break the case. Now, when the public read the description... Many thought of the same one man, a man who was a recluse. He lived on his own. He was often seen wandering the country lanes late at night on his own and regularly wore a trench coat tied together by a piece of rope. That man was named Alphonse Le Gastelois. Now, Alphonse was born on the island of Jersey to French parents. The family were pretty reclusive, Alphonse would go on to live on his own in a small fishing house on the coast and was known as a little eccentric. He was he was very basic and he lived a rather simple life, but for the most part, he seemed to be liked by the locals. Now, immediately, that looks quite likely, right? Given the description. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Like the trench coat, the rope, the living by himself. It, you'd question him. Oh, for sure. And he was questioned. In fact, he was questioned by the police for 14 hours. Jeez. And then he was released due to a lack of evidence. So I mean, that's yeah. clear. Did he give but his fingerprints up? I couldn't be sure okay. when I was looking into it. But for the general public, they had already made up their mind. 
as, as far the problem, as they were it? concerned exactly as far as they were concerned alphonse was the person and his home had been burned down by an angry mob mob mentality it's awful now with nowhere to go he took a small fishing boat and paddled his way to an uninhabited island northeast of jersey where he would live in exile for 14 years so it genuinely wasn't him no what a poor right i hope he got some sort of insurance or something what a poor poor man I know, oh, it's that's, crazy. He, he, was just, he was just a bloke who just like, he liked going on walks, he liked to just live by himself. Like, fair play. If you don't want to be around people, I get it. Oh, man, that's, down. that's so sad. If he did become a fucking criminal after that, fair. And as far as I could look into it, I may have the date wrong, but um, in his house that he grew up in, because he, he had French parents that had lived like on the island for a long time yeah. anyway, because he still spoke most, he, he could speak, uh, he spoke a bit of French and obviously by his surname, he was from French uh, heritage. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, I think someone said that there was like a stone above his door that said like 17 something as the date as when it was made. Mad. But so he lived in a very old house and he was part of the island's history. And That's he so just, sad rowing out onto a, a, an island just to live there on his own he declared himself the king of the island and he just lived on seaweed and shells i mean that sounds like an episode in itself but that's so sad i feel so sorry for him i know because um, he's now he's what another victim of the jersey beast in like a un like a what's the not a primary way yeah yeah i know what you mean i mean for the islanders that like burnt his house down and then he moves to the island and the attacks keep happening they'll be like ah shit yeah that's the problem with mob mentality though isn't it when people get an idea in their heads they get vicious yeah now nearly a year after the last attack the beast was back but this time his mo had differed slightly he was almost exclusively targeting children now mm. in as many months two young boys aged 11 and 12 would be assaulted by the beast and a third child an 11 year old girl was raped it was clear the jersey police could not handle this type of crime so they called in the famous scotland yard to assist they gave the island a shakedown but even they were stumped the beast stayed quiet the entire time scotland yard were around so he's smart he knows mm. what he's doing yeah in 1963, the attack started again. In April, a nine-year-old boy was taken from his home and attacked in the usual MO, a rope around the neck and raped in a field before being placed back at his front door. In November of the same year, an 11-year-old beheld the same fate. The next year, in 1964, a 10-year-old girl and a boy of the same age were both attacked in their homes, and then the attacks just stopped for a while. It's like the beast knows that they can only do so much before the place gets too tough to operate in. Mm. It's only a small island, remember, and the locals were beginning to form neighbourhood watches, not that it did anything to stop him. It's now 1966, and nearly two years since the last attack, and the locals would be forgiven for starting to think that it might be over. They hadn't caught the beast, but they could live with the idea so long as it didn't happen anymore. But in the summer of 1966, the police received a letter. It read, quote, My dear sir, I think that it is just the time to tell you that you are just wasting your time. 
as every time I have done what I always intended to do, and remember, it will not stop at this. But I will be fair to you and give you a chance. I have never had much out of this life, but I intend to get everything I can now. I have always wanted to do the perfect crime. I have done this, but this time, let the moon shine very bright in September, because this time, it must be perfect. Not one, but two. I am not a maniac by a long shot, but I like to play with you people. You will hear from me before September, and I will give you all the clues, just to see if you can catch me. Yours very sincerely, wait and see. That's ominous, isn't it? I mean, it's very like reminiscent of the Dear Boss letter from Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's when a criminal is getting confident with it. When you're like taunting mm. people, taunting the police, giving them the time frame of when you're going to act again so they can be on high alert and you think you're going to get away with it anyway. Yeah. But now, was it genuine? That's the question on everyone's lips. Well, we don't mm. know. The letter alluded to two attacks coming in or before September, but that just never happened. A 15-year-old was brutally assaulted in her home in August, but the MO was different. The attacker didn't tie a rope around the neck and rape her in a field, but they did leave long scratches on the body's victim, and they were parallel to each other. So, what changed? It would be another four years before the beast would strike again. In 1970, he broke into the bedroom of a 14-year-old boy. Pointing the flashlight in his face, he operates in his usual manner, rope around the neck and taken to a field where he rapes the boy. Only this time, he leaves long scratches on the victim too, again in parallel fashion. Which, when he's walking the boy back to his home, he does something that he's never done before. He talks to his victim. The boy was told by the beast that if he mentioned anything to his parents, he would come back and kill them. And it's actually horrific, not only to mm. just do that to the child, but to then try and psychologically tap them as yeah. well. Yeah. Now, when the boy is at home, he's sat with his parents and, and he just isn't himself. And their parents just know this. Yeah, of course. He doesn't want to say a thing. His parents know that something's wrong and they press him until he eventually tells them what happened. Wait, so they didn't know? So he put him back in his house and the parents had no idea this had happened? Yeah. Shit in hell. They didn't know it happened uh, until he told them. And and, and I'm just thinking, knowing that someone had broken into your house and abused your own child and you had no idea, I can only just imagine how mortified those parents felt and how bad they felt. That kid would be sleeping with a parent in the room for the rest of his life. I know. It's crazy, crazy stuff, man. Like, how this guy operates is terrifying. And, th- and this is one of, one, of, like, one, of, one of the reasons when I looked into the episode, I was like, no, this has to be a Halloween episode because it is boogeyman mentality. Like, It's horrible. It's horror-worthy. Like, you know, one of the one of my favourite horror films is, I think it's, it's called The... Uh, the Oh, what's it called now? It's not The Stranger. What's the... The, the intruders are saying... What's the one with um, uh, Steve Tyler's daughter from lord of the rings oh uh, live tyler I'm, peop- I'm not gonna lie to you ryan i don't watch horror films because they scare me oh, there's one where that like, they just wear masks and they're just in this house just there and it's terrifying mm. and that's one of my biggest fears is just like you you wake up at night and there's just someone in your room 
well, this is the thing. When you watch like horror films about ghosts and monsters and stuff, like it's far from reality. So you can kind of separate yourself and be like, that's fine. But when it's like shit like this, where it's another human being invading your personal space, committing these atrocities, like you don't like to think about it. You don't think about it often, but it's possible. Like these things can happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, It is called The Strangers. It's it, genuinely watch it. It's fucking terrifying, but a great mm-hmm. film. Okay. Now, on July 17th, 1971, bear in mind, these attacks started in 1957. The police were doing a routine patrol in their car when they saw a speeding car run a red light. They chased the car, which sped up further, trying to get away. Mounting sidewalks and scraping other cars along the way, the driver would lose control and crashed into a tomato field. The driver got out of the car and began running, but the police caught him. While taking him to the station, they couldn't help but notice that he had a very distinctive, musty smell about him. Under the lights of the station, they noticed on his trench coat that he had one-inch nails sewn into his lapels of his coat, as well as on his shoulders and his collar. And on his wrists were homemade bracelets, also with nails sticking out of them. Now, when looking in the driver's car, they found the infamous mask and wig and hat. There was no doubt they had caught the Beast of Jersey, and oh. his name was Edward Paynell. As if he got caught like this, just from, I, like, I know. after all these years, he just ran a red light, and that's how he got caught. He must have seen the police and just panicked and put his foot down, but if he just drove, like, normally, he would have probably got away with it. Mm. It's the fact that he's caught with all of his gear on him. He, he was clearly on his way to do something. Yeah. Uh, now, um, James, I know you've been looking at the guy's mask, but I would implore just try have a look at a few more images. And, and guys, listen, have a look. Um, look at his outfit and see the nails that he's like sewn into him and the wrist with all the nails hanging out of the, the wrist straps. Um, oh, yeah. And j- yeah just yeah. to give you more of like an image of what this guy looked like. And it's horrific. Cover- it is. And we're going to cover in a bit um, why he has that like that. Mm-hmm. So, who was Edward Paynell, and did the Jersey police get their assessment correct on the attacker? Well, let's take a look at their assessment. The attacker was a local. Edward was born on the island of Jersey in 1925 and grew up there, so they were spot on that the attacker must have been a local. He worked in construction as a local handyman, who many people knew to be a kind man who worked very hard and never pressed hard for payment if he knew that his clients were hard for money. So many described him as having a strong warmth about him, um, mainly for children as well, and was just in general a kind guy. So it's almost like he's hiding in plain sight. You just would never think of Edward as being This is what I mentioned earlier. Like It's horrific, isn't it, that they'll go about life and no one will have any idea. Especially as a handyman, you invite this man into your home. Yeah, exactly. Now, he technically didn't have a criminal record as far as the official Jersey record stated, which would might, would, would probably go a long way as to, you know, um, you know about this whole... Um, all people with a criminal record need to give up their fingerprints. Yeah. He was one of the 13 people who did not give up his uh, fingerprint. But no. again, it's tricky because some reports say, oh, it was every man on the island had to give up their fingerprint. And then when you say of the 13, he was not one of them, 
But then if you say, oh, it was everyone who had a criminal record, well, technically he didn't have a criminal record Yeah. as far as Jersey were considered. Mm. He did have one going back to the 1940s when the Nazis occupied the island. See, he was arrested for stealing food for families, but apart from that, he seemed to be a law-abiding citizen, on record anyway. Mm. Um, although... This next bit's interesting. So, if anything, his history helped him hide, right? Many people on the island during that time did heroic things, right? Uh, There was, like, a small resistance and people would steal food and other things from the Nazis to help those that really struggled. Um, I would implore you to look into, like, Jersey's history during the Second World War because there was a moment where, like, no one could eat. There was just not enough food on the island for the German army, let alone the islanders themselves. And Mm. it was just... It became like a... Uh, sort of a crazy time where you'd steal food and there's a bit of crime going on and things like that. But then a lot of people are like, oh, Edward Paynell was actually very quick to uh, collaborate with the Nazis when they came to the island. And he uses it to say, no, I did that to help out other islanders with food and whatnot. Yeah. And it's like, eh, we don't really know. Yeah. Now, the attacker was a lonely single man. Edward was actually married and had children and had been married for quite some time. So how did his wife not know about it? Remember, they were saying, oh, oh, my wife would no- my wife would notice if I just snipped off to the pub for a drink. And yeah, yeah. so like he couldn't be married because his wife would know he's not in the house. So how did he get away with it? I don't know. His wife, Joan Paynell, actually wrote a book on the whole thing after it happened, Fuck. sort of going on about her side of the story and all this kind of stuff but finding copies is rather difficult now since the book went out of print years ago so if you buy it it's very expensive you might be able to find the odd copy on ebay but i don't know maybe i'll get it one day so the reports from the book are obviously going to be somewhat skewed because it's like leaning toward her story rather than just a, a generalized overview of everything But many people believe that Joan must have had some knowledge of Edward's goings-on. And in fact, there is at least one report from someone that says that she was present for at least one of the abuses that he did at a children's home. But it's it's just hearsay from this one person. Mm -hmm. Um, There doesn't seem to be much evidence to back it up as far as we can get yet. So I'll just leave that there. Um, But I would also like to point out that in Joan... She is a weird person, right? She's very religious, kind of like freaky in that way. Uh, other than that, she's really boring and plain. But um, she she uses many different excuses in her book. So I couldn't get hold of the book, but I read a lot of reviews on the book. And as far as everyone's been out, they're like, Joan's a dick because she uses so many different excuses for her husband's crimes. Oh, from really? the Yeah, from the island itself where she says that its history of witchcraft and black magic is what caused the whole thing to happen. Right, of course. She also uses the incessant homosexuality on the island, corrupting the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she also goes on to say that there is a supposed family curse that has been passed down for generations in the Paynell family. I mean... Right. It just, right. I, I mean, that's kind of a middle finger to the victims, isn't it? Trying to find an excuse for this absolute cockwombles. Yeah, I mean, Edward himself believed in the family curse. In fact, he blamed the fact that there was a family curse um, for one of his daughters being born with a disability. He was like, oh, it's the Paynell curse, and that's why you're like you the way you are. And that was very nice. Thanks, Dad. 
Yeah, that's what a dickhead. Yeah. Now, what we do know about Edward's marriage to Joan is that on the surface, it looked like any other marriage, but behind closed doors, it was very, very different. Their home had an annex built on the side of it that seemed to act as Edward's own home himself. He just lived in that annex on his own, separate beds, separate everything. And Joan lived in the main one with the kids. Now, in their early years in the marriage, they seemed to have done their marital duty, right? Um, like now and again, they'd kind of do the marital duty to have the kids. But Joan mm. said that it was always just very basic. It was very tough just to kind of get Edward to come near her and do any sort of sexual things with her. And Edward also said about her being like, because of her like religion and whatnot, she's so like, just like stiff board, just lay on the bed, do what you got to do kind of thing, which as we know, that doesn't do it for him. Mm clearly by his crimes you know, yeah you know, sorry you're not you're not scared of me nor are you a child this is not for me yeah oh fuck. i mean the annex as well explains how he would have got away with it because she's not going to notice him sneaking out of there exactly now this might help support the claims that joan didn't know anything about his goings on they met when edward was doing some contractor jobs at the children's home that joan worked uh, for and they seem to hit it off from the, from the get-go because they seem to have this shared love for helping children, although mm. it seems Joan actually cared for the kids and Edward was just looking for a way to do his best Jimmy Savile impersonation before it was popular with the BBC. Yeah. Now, at the home, Edward had on occasion dressed up as Santa Claus and even went by the name Uncle Ted to the kids. Hmm. But, but stories later came out saying that he would often be found just staring at kids in their beds at night. Fuck's sakes. Okay. So the red flags were there all along. All along. Literally all along. Like, I think he t- he turned up to, like, the the home and he met her. And I think at one point he was like, it was like Christmas time. And he was like, oh, listen, if there's anything else you can do, like, is, if there's anything I can do to help you, um and the kids and whatnot and she's like well we need someone to dress up as santa claus and then he was like yeah absolutely i'll do it and then he's got kids sat on his lap yeah of course i mean straight away nowadays you need so many fucking background checks to be santa i don't even think kids are allowed to sit on santa's lap anymore no i don't think you can you just have to stand next to him or something like like in the uk you're not allowed to i don't know after i think the jimmy savile stuff and all the stuff that came afterwards fucking rocks this country and now kids are very protected right like rightfully so hmm yeah, although it's, you know, yeah, ruining Christmas a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I I don't feel like I need to. Well, when I was a kid, I didn't need to sit on some fucking guy wearing a fat suit's lap just to show him the Argus catalogue and what I wanted. <laughs> just what would you like for Christmas? You just whack out a giant fucking Argus catalogue. We all did it and just circle and like write a list of the numbers in the Argus catalogue. Argus used to make a killing at Christmas. Oh god, yeah, and even now, like they they love whipping out a Christmas catalogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, if ever, God forbid, I have children, like they're not going to want the Argus catalogue, but they're going to fucking get it and they're going to point at what they want. Do you know what I've done for the first time ever? I've I've just cre- been creating um, an Amazon wish list and sent that. Oh, that's a sensible way of doing it. Yeah, like I mean, mom... it's easier for everyone as well. If people have Prime, like, it's so like you can order stuff. I mean, Amazon's got its problems, like, obviously, but for, as a consumer, it's so fucking easy. Yeah. My mum was like, what do you want for Christmas? I went, listen... I've got an Amazon wish list. Here it is. Just if you see anything you want on it, like, go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's fair enough. I mean, there is a PS5 on that, and I'm not going to get that, but... I was very cheeky the other day and went out and bought myself a new Xbox. Yes! 
you know, just because of the new games coming out. But anyway, that's besides the point. Yes, how have we managed to do that in the Halloween episode? <laughs> um, when the police searched Edward's home, or more specifically, the annex, they found a secret room in there where he kept all of his criminal tools. They found multiple trench coats with nails sewn into them. He claimed that they were for self-defense, should anyone attack him. He also said, because he's a handyman, um, they were really good for grip when he was doing roofing jobs. I mean, that's just a stretch, isn't it? Like, they're like, oh, yeah, I use the nails for grip on roofs. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, so you'd attach them to yourself. Yeah, so, like, if he was to, like, fall, the nails would act as, like, fingertips sort of grabbing onto the roof. You think he's fucking Spider-Man? Like, it's... (laughs) No, it was purely for... Because he thought... I bet he was making it being like, this looks really cool and scary. Yeah. He did it for aesthetic. Obviously, at some point in the interview, they said, why were you wearing the outfit when you were dry when we caught you and he said yeah. oh i was going to um a sex orgy and i didn't want anyone to recognize me so you wear the outfit that everyone is literally looking for yeah it's dominant it. yeah now what we know now is that he used those nails not for grip on roofs nor for self-defense although he technically would do it for self-defense it was used so that he's a victims could never get a proper good grip of him when he was attacking them everywhere that they tried to grab him there were one inch nails that he just they just could not grab onto him it's like been thought put into that hasn't it exactly the fact that it's been thought put into it makes it like more harrowing and scary but it's actually very smart and clever yeah because i've just seen the ones like he has it around his wrists and around his neck like no one could grab him anywhere to like no one could grab his arms or like around the throat Mm. impossible Mm. Now, they found rope, several masks, wigs, and all the implements he would need, including photos of the victims and the homes that he had attacked, including some homes he had not yet visited, implying that he fully intended on carrying on. Mm. In fact, he would say how um, he would plan his attacks months in advance, learning the habits of the victims and the layouts of their homes before. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you need to, don't you, to carry them out so successfully. Yeah. Now, there was also an altar to Satan found with a shrine, a sword, and a book on black magic. Edward claimed that he was a descendant of Gilles de Rey, who is a French nobleman who assisted Joan of Arc during her battles against the English. Mm. Now, why do I mention this exactly? Well, it's always good to link back to previous episodes that we've done, but it also turns out that Gilles de Rey was also a prolific serial killer. Which is just... I remember when we were doing the, the, the Joan of Arc story and, like, she's on a siege at, like, Lorraine, I think it was. L- L- Lorian or something, I forget. But the idea that there's a nobleman next to her being like, it's all right, Joan, we've we got this, we'll get this. And he's an absolute prolific serial killer back in his land. Yeah. And she has no clue. And she's she's acting on the side of God, and yet she has the devil next to her. That's weird. Yeah. Um, in fact, he is someone that I would like to do an episode on a one, yeah, that, one, interesting. one time. Yeah. Um really now, did the serial killer get passed down to Edward Paynell? No, of course it fucking didn't. The guy is just a piece of shit, right? Yeah. There is no excuses for this fella. He's just a piece of shit. I bet his wife laps that up though, all the black magic stuff. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now At his trial, it took the jury just 38 minutes to find Edward guilty of 13 counts of assault, rape and sodomy. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison. 
but he would serve his time in the UK mainland at Winchester Prison until 1991, when he was released for having served only 20 years for Jesus good behaviour. Christ. This is a th- right. So th- we have American listeners, and I'm assuming for us that's shocking, but like we're kind of like, it happens. Whereas in America, my, I was having this conversation with my mum the other day, I forget what the crime was, and someone got sentenced like 13 life sentences and then plus 600 years, like never seen yeah. the light of day, which opens up its own discussion about whether that's actual rehabilitation, which I don't think it is, but regardless. But then in this case, there are people like this fucking knobhead who shouldn't see the light of day again. Exactly. Um, I, I hark back to our episode about um anders brevik in norway mm. and how the norwegians uh criminal justice system works in that it's all about rehabilitation it's not yeah. necessarily just about punishment whereas in america it is just about punishment mm. and there is no rehabilitation and in the uk there's this weird sort of in between where we can't quite make up our minds what we want to do do we want to punish you and make sure that you just stay there forever but then eventually you're going to come out and you've got nothing to sort your life out with is it's mad um, if i like to contextualise it, I'm, what, 27? If, God forbid, I decided to go on like some sort of killing spree right now, there would be a point in my life where I would be released again. Yeah. Which yeah, seems exactly. wrong. And you could technically still live like the rest of your life quite content. Yeah. No one can bother you. You'd probably get given a new identity. It'd... I mean... For this guy, you were nicknamed the Beast of Jersey. For near 14 years or so, you terrorised an entire island and you only did 20 years and you got out for good behaviour. I'm quite surprised that people in prison didn't, like, kill him. Well, apparently he was fairly respected in prison. Really? I always thought child molesters and things like that did not did not go down very well. Yeah, I wonder how much they knew then. Yeah, true. Mm. Now... What's the Beast of Jersey going to do after prison in 1991? Where is the one place he would never go back to? And where does he go? Did he go back to Jersey? Yeah, he went back to Jersey. Fuck's sakes. I mean, the fucking audacity to think that you could go back there is incredible. But come on now, they burnt down the house of some poor bloke that had nothing to do with it. So I hope they did something to him as well. Yeah, right. Well, this is the thing. He didn't last long. When the islanders found out that he was back on the island, they pretty much immediately ran him back into the sea. Right, good. Yeah. Edward Paynell, the Beast of Jersey, would spend the rest of his days on the Isle of Wight, where he would die three years later in 1994 of a heart attack aged 68. It's mad that he died in freedom, but like the Isle of Wight is a, like a stone's throw from the coast. Like if you stand on like Portsmouth, Bournemouth or whatever, you, you can see it, it's there. Yeah. Now, Edward's last wishes were to be buried alongside his family in their plot on the island of Jersey, but his sister flat out denied this. She was like, nah, fucking way, bro. You are a piece of shit and I don't want yeah. you anywhere near us. Good, um, good. She, yeah. Instead, his body was cremated and scattered to the winds. Yeah. Now... I am missing a lot about the trial and I would like to have a lot more on it because it's a weird thing, right? We was, we briefly spoke about Jersey's police force and the court system at the time as well was just as fucking batshit insane. Um, but I have been working with scraps in this episode, right? So the only genuine sources are like three books of this crime. And like mm. I say, they're all out of print and they're, they're actually a bit hard to find and get a hold of. So yeah. I've just tried to do the best I can with what I've what I've got. Um, now, 
maybe we'll come back to this episode at another point in the future. I'm not sure, just to kind of try and dissect the man even further. But, eh, maybe we've kind of put him to bed now. The guy was a piece of shit. He did some horrific things. He's now a boogeyman that's going to haunt your nightmares. And maybe that's where we should stay. That story was fucking wild. That was... We've we've heard some grotesque shit on this podcast. But for me, I think that episode was the scariest. Like, cause like I said, yeah. the Sylvia Likens one, and what was his like, Albert Fish? Like Albert Fish was a piece of shit as well. There's parallels there, but like this guy seems to like. If this was a horror film, I would question the reality of it. So to the fact that it happened in real life, mm. is mad. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Think, the thing that, like I was saying earlier, the thing that terrified me the most about it all is just the sheer randomness of it all. Mm. There's just no logic to his sort of pickings and choosings it's just anything it's almost like he just did it when he was in the mood yeah no i think you're right yeah no that's horrifying what a dickhead i'm glad he's dead but i'm also very sad that he died in freedom mm. uh in terms of um alphonse um he lived on this little island for 14 years he proclaimed himself king of the island i think eventually he does go back to jersey to live out um the rest of his life and he dies in 2012 on the island of jersey okay um, i hope they fucking so he... rebuilt a house for him and apologized profusely yeah i think um they they did do something for him if i remember rightly um but yeah um so yeah that was our that's our halloween episode done for 2022 well, uh, i'm glad you got through it if you made it through it well done that was scary no that was that was quite something yeah not very nice at all um now obviously we talked to us about some really horrific things and not wishing to sort of trivialize anything um unfortunately this was something that happened in the late 50s to the early 70s and it involved a man attacking a woman now we live in 2022 and unfortunately if you listen to the news cycle especially if you live in the uk um men attacking women has not gone away it's still as prevalent as it has always been um and just if you are a man listening just no you know just be aware of yourself a little bit more you know like i'm at no point ever going to attack a woman but just be cautious and be aware that you know some people are going to be scared of you a little bit maybe sometimes um for me it's like what really upsets me i had a conversation recently it happens all the time well like, i'll be out with friends and like there'll be there'll be women there and they'll be like oh how are you getting home i'll, be like, I'll get the train then i'll walk home from the train station at like one in the morning and they're like they're hmm. shocked they're like how can you just walk home at one in the morning without i'll listen to music i won't have any idea of my surroundings but like it's never been a worry for me because yeah I have that privilege of just being a white man, always with a cap on with my hood up. I must look quite intimidating. Mm. So, so yeah, exactly. I, I, I completely agree. You should... Um, I know there was a whole thing after um, the case. I'm, I've completely forgot her name with the police officer. That, Sarah um, Everett. That's the one. Sarah Everard. Everard? Everett? Everard, mm. I think. Um, that was a, a horrific case. Um, there was a whole thing about if you're walking behind a woman, just like cross the street. And there's some backlash yeah. to that. And like... But if if you can do a minor thing to make someone else feel a bit more secure, like I think it's it's completely reasonable, especially when it's dark. It's getting dark at like half four now, so it always seems to be dark. Yeah, it it does break yeah. my heart when I'm like speaking to my female friends and like they can't go for a walk at night. Like uh, I was speaking to a friend recently, and she'll be like, "I want to go for a, a run, but it's dark, so I can't." Like it's it's really sad. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And like you know, talking to my partner. 
um she's she's as brave as anyone and she'd be like well no i should be allowed to go and it's like yes you absolutely should and i i support your right to do that however that's just not the world that you live in at the moment so that's why i kind of want to be like for us guys out there if there's anything that we can do to try and make it more comfortable or better let's just try and do it maybe um that is a thing. and one thing that like needs to be hammered home is like saying that you should do this for women does not belittle your own challenges like it's not saying that men don't go through challenges because men go through challenges mental health issues are rife like it's it's bad but that's not the com- mm-hmm. like the conversation right now we can have a separate conversation about men's mental health issues and what people need to do better to support the men in their life but when we're talking about making people feel safe on the street generally is women that will um be the ones who feel unsafe Yes. So the separate now, conversation. It's the same argument as when Black Lives Matter happened and everyone's like, oh, white lives matter as well. Like, yeah, everyone's life does matter, you fucking moron. But that's not the conversation right now because all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. It's just because you have challenges, like, it, we get it, but it's don't use that as an excuse to not help other people with theirs. Absolutely. Um, for context as well, um, on Rape Crisis UK, um, a UK charity, one of their stats is one in four women are raped at some point in their adult life that is horrific one in four a quarter Um, yeah so uh for children it's one in six children are sexually assaulted or raped one in six fucking christ and for men it is one in 20 so yes whilst there are men out there that can be abused and assaulted the odds are lower it's uh the odds are lower and we are lucky in that so um, one in four fucking one in four I've heard so many horror stories from friends who are just literally going about their lives and the way the conversation happens is that it'll it'll be throwaway to them be like oh this happened to me once it's like it's not it shouldn't be a throwaway thing like oh this it happens it shouldn't yeah it's it's terrifying it's a horrible horrible world we live in yeah so um although this story yes it's a halloween episode and we're here to get a bit scared and spooky um and, and and yes it's a story from a long time ago unfortunately the subject of the today's story is something that we still live with and deal with today so mm. you know as much as we can let's just be nice to each other and make sure that we're all comfortable yeah i just why are people like this man i don't get it they're wired differently aren't they yeah so yeah anyway that is our episode on the beast of jersey that was a good episode that was a scary episode i had no idea about this character which is kind of interesting Mm. considering we're british so you'd imagine we would have but yeah no i'm the same i was like oh i did not know about this guy i'd only seen the mask that's the thing that people remember yeah terrifying the whole thing was terrifying good halloween episode to be recorded on 20th of november woo um (laughs) All right, so guys, uh, thank you very much for listening. Let's get the last bits of admin out of the way. Follow us on all the socials. We don't tend to do that anymore, but we are getting lots of people to just follow us now, so that's fine. Follow us on all the socials. Uh, There is a run-up to Christmas. Let's get it done. Get that Christmas merch ordered now because it takes a little time for it to get delivered. And make sure you get the new merch um, uh, artwork on your shirts. So we've got... The new Diogenes, I present to you a man. Is that on the store right now? It will be on the store within the week because I've been very, very busy. So that's on my list of things to do. So within the week, it's going to be on the store. Remember, guys, if you type in get 10 at the checkout, you get 10% off your order. 
Nice. So make sure you get that done before Christmas and get some merch sent in. If you have any merch as well, please do let us know and show us how it fits, if it fits well. Um, my mum brought us a, a jumper, which she got yesterday. So that was nice. <laughs> um, nice. Thanks, mum. Yeah. And I'm currently repping a, uh, that's what people do, hoodie. And the you hoodies are. are really comfortable. Really, really comfortable. I was wearing my white one in London yesterday, showing it off to the, to the masses. That's it. Yeah, let everyone know. So yeah, tell your friends, tell your goldfish, let them listen. Uh, maybe when you go out the house and your dog's just at home on their own, put that's what people do on and we will look after your dogs for you. Good boy. Good girl. <laughs> <laughs> I've covered all bases there. You want to all go right, for guys. a walk? <laughs> that's great. That's great. Ready? Ready? Walkies. <laughs> dogs everywhere <laughs> going crazy. <laughs> All right, then, guys. Thank you very much for listening. And, um, yeah, I'm going to start working on the Christmas episode now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the next episode will be nice, I think. I'm assuming it's my turn to record. I haven't got a clue who it's going to be, but it'll be someone your nice turn. and uplifting. Excellent. All right, then. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.